Welcome to another Principal of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host as always, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning in. Now, as you know, food brings people together and promotes community. And at Principal of Hospitality, we are here to disrupt the current perceptions of what the hospitality industry can achieve in today's ever-evolving and challenging environment. So that's why we're so proud to partner with Chef's Hat, the largest family-owned and operated hospitality supplier in Australia on this season of Poe. Now, Applejack Hospitality is a boutique Sydney-based hospitality group founded in 2011 by industry stalwarts Hamish Watts and Ben Carroll, who have combined experience of over 35 years in the industry. Applejack currently owns and operates eight venues across Sydney, including SoCal, The Botanist, The Butler, and Tap Rooms, along with their most recent purchase, renowned 100-year-old Sydney pub, Foster's in. Foresters, sorry, I should say, in Surrey Hills, which they relaunched after a major renovation and a brand new offering at the end of last year. Over a year later, Applejack has been challenged by having uh, a second major lockdown happening in Sydney as we as we record this podcast, but they're remaining positive about the future ahead and how they can impact the ever-evolving industry which we're in. Hey, Hamish. Hey, Ben. How are you both? Yeah, good. Thanks, Sean. How are you, mate? Uh, fantastic. Um, it's always yeah, thanks a, for having us today. Um, great for, to have you both. It's always a good start when I don't get the intro a hundred percent right. But you know, <laughs> I got I got ninety five percent there, so it's always a always a good thing. Um, now, fantastic to have you both on. As I said, um, as we record this in in the, the end of July, um, Sydney's in a really hard lockdown um, right now, and and hospitality's really hurting. It it really reminds me of what we went through here in Melbourne last year and I know how tough that was and I know we'll talk about that on the podcast and what you guys are doing so positively with your venues and your team um, but maybe if we start off uh, with Hamish like how did you guys get into it um, and how did you start out in the industry and then we'll talk to Ben and ask the same question. Yeah sure mate. Um, oh look hospitality for me like a lot of people I think when they start out in it uh, it's not necessarily what I was <clears throat> designed to go into or I'd, uh, designed. I hadn't, I hadn't uh, career curated my way into it put it that way um i was a um at school i was a, a social character like a lot of hospitality people are i enjoyed the um, the fun aspect of the social part of school mm-hmm. i you took my first job up in a cafe at the local shopping center um it's uh, not a well-known cafe it's nothing that was um you know i would think you class as a um a critical part of my career but it got me a start and i mm-hmm. and i've looked i've sort of worked in hospitality ever since then really yeah i used it as my tool to get through school and i always loved my job more than i did my schooling life i i did like a um a bachelor of arts with a major in music at a uh, university and while i was doing that i just worked in like a number of hospitality jobs. I was a shift manager of a restaurant out in the western part of Sydney, working the graveyard shift. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working in bars in Sydney's Oxford Street, which for people who know that area, it's a it used to be a very vibrant part of the city and quite a colourful area yes. to work in. Yeah. Um, I worked in Balmain, um, in, in a pub in Balmain, which is um, in the inner west of Sydney. And I and then um, I just kind of always enjoyed it. And it was the thing that I was always best at. Like I was certainly better at that than I was at music. I was um, certainly better at that than I was in academia. Mm-hmm. And everywhere I went, I just kind of kept getting offered more shifts and more work and opportunities to go into management. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like a lot of Aussies, uh, I took a rite of passage and traveled over to the UK. And that was in about 2005. I went over there. So I was in my mid twenties then. Mm-hmm. And all my mates, uh, particularly the guy that I traveled with, he had like a, he had a good career in, 
um, advertising and was doing really well in that space. And and I, I kind of got to London. I was like, holy shit! Like I've I've got to get a career. Like I've got I've, I've got my savings that I'd saved up to 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 move into uh, to move to the UK. And I had enough money there to live there for a, <clears throat> probably a couple of weeks, given the cost of a coffee and and the, yep. the cost of the pound at the time was three to one. And I um. I, I got a job at a, a pub in South London, which was uh, multifaceted. And mm-hmm. it was kind of that point where she was an independent operator at a number of sites that I realized that hospitality, I was just going to actually turn it into a career. It was no longer going to be a side gig. The music thing wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to, I needed to stop traveling at some point and at some point I'd need to set up for the future. So uh, that's when I made the, made the call and I really haven't looked back since, you know, I worked for her over there for four years. Um, yeah, right. I did a bunch of catering work with a large catering company over there, which was also really uh, interesting to learn that element of, of, of uh, work with Northern hospitality. And since I came back to Sydney, um, I was completely penniless and I got a job with a really um, uh, large pub group within Sydney, which is where I met Ben. Right. And um, we've been in love ever since. No, we've, um, <laughs> and we, uh, it's a we, ten-year uh, love start- story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, it wasn't. It was the kind of place where um, it wasn't necessarily completely in my wheelhouse. It was a, a very pubby pub group. Um, they had yeah. like some really prolific gaming venues. They also had um, they had thirty-six pubs, I think, on the eastern coast of Australia at the time. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot about how to um, develop and, and work in a group structure. And I yep. think that really helped um, set me up. So it was kind of, I guess my career was launched by the the food and beverage element, the fun aspect of my um, early career life. And then I got the professional and, and the sort of a bit more of a corporate structure understanding in the later part of my career. And then mm. in 2011 is when we um, launched our first restaurant down in Bondi. Um, and, and, and the rest is kind of history 11 years later or 10 years later, sorry, almost yeah. 11. Yeah. Yeah. What, what about yourself, Ben? Thanks, Hamish. Yeah, my um, introduction into hospitality was probably a little bit more targeted than Hamish. And it started off, I think it was when I was in year 11 at school and I went to quite an academic school and I definitely was an academic. So uh, my parents went to a parent-teacher night and the, the teachers there obviously said, oh, like he's, he gets along with everybody, he's great, but he just does not care about schoolwork and... <laughs> Uh, it was actually, they put the idea in my parents' head back in, uh, when was that, 1998 or something like that, where they mm-hmm. said, look, he's he's just perfect for hospitality. It was pretty good of them to identify that at the time. So the next year, I was chatting with my parents throughout. As I was doing year 12, they could clearly see I wasn't interested in anything except my friends, sports, socialising. Uh, they threw around ideas of going to university, and I obviously shut them down pretty quickly. I think that the in thing at the time was to do a um, arts degree or something like that. (laughs) What does that even mean? I'm not sure. Still don't know. Uh, So I finished year 12. I I had this uh, fantastic idea, a little bit of, uh, to follow something like Hamish and go do that uh, gap year over in the UK or over in the the USA. And again, my parents said, no, you've done nothing for the last six years in high school. You're going to get a job and you're going to go to the local pub and get your job there and, uh, fortunately, they pushed me into the right direction. And day one, from picking up glasses at the Blue Gum Hotel in Waitara, uh, nice. worked my way up. And I was, I was a, a dish, a dishy for many years. I was a glassy, and and slowly worked through. And I just loved it from day one. I stopped, stopped going out for many years. I just sort of just focused on it. Um, and I had a real passion and drive to to manage people. I think that's what I was most attracted to within the industry. Obviously, the 
the fun side of, of what you do, but I just mm-hmm. loved connecting with people. Mm-hmm. I did my rounds through a few different companies, larger companies through uh, Sydney and worked my way up along the way as well through the, the dedication and uh, my ability to connect and converse with many different people. And that's, uh, as Hamish said, the love story of, of Ben and Hamish started uh, 10 years ago now when we are working for the company together, a large company. We're overseeing uh, 36 pubs within the group at the time. Wow. Going out to these pubs and uh, I guess doing health checks on them, trying to understand if they weren't performing or why they were performing and um, fixing up different areas of that business, whether it was training the, the staff around the financials, whether it was doing some capital works on it to improve prove the aesthetics of it or whatever it might have been required. After a while, we sort of thought, Let, let's practice what we preach. Let's let's do this ourselves. And I think we were very confident in our abilities, probably overconfident in our abilities. And when we did start Bondi Hardware down, down there in Bondi, which we, we have sold, I think it was eight years later, we sold that. But it, we made a lot of mistakes along the way. Uh, but I think what got through it got got us through that period and was gave us the ability to grow year after year mm-hmm. was that Hamish and I were there doing you know 80 90 hours a week we knew the customers coming in we made mistakes but we embraced those mistakes we made and we we worked with our staff and we weren't the best managers at the time I'm sure and we still could be a lot better but also we worked with our customers as well and listened to them and I think that's how Applejack snowballed to the incredible company it is today with the mm. 200 strong people we have yeah i always like to talk about um with founders like why they decided to start but i think it's really really important when i talk to two people who have joined in a business together in hospitality like one why they started and and together in a group and why they didn't do it sort of individually like what what was the what was the reason you guys decided to join forces and actually buy bondi hardware and make that leap of faith together rather than just one of you you know doing doing that transition maybe Hamish do you want to speak to that first yeah um I think it was, it was the, the the sum of two parts you know like Ben because we're working so closely together even when we're working together in that group environment as we as Ben was just speaking about there was stuff that I was naturally better at well not I wouldn't say better at but something that I was more passionate and interested in and there's stuff that Ben was more passionate and interested in and mm. And when the idea came around, we started talking about it. It was on road trips up the coast and we were going up, you know, we were driving up to Coffs Harbour and Port Macquarie and places like that. And we'd talk about it on these trips and it became infectious. But I think when the time came to, to actually, you know, make the jump, I wasn't probably, I was probably a little bit gun shy to do it myself. And I had um, Ben in my corner who had brought us a skill set that I didn't necessarily 100% back myself in just yet. You know, mm. I probably could have done it. Would I have done a good job in that element? probably not as well as Ben would have done. And I think, the, mm. I think the same goes the other way. And look, when we, when we started out, we learned pretty quickly that we needed to divide our um, responsibilities and split it into what we call channel management, where I look after a certain part of the business and Ben looks after the other. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we, um, we thought we'll, we'll start off with this. And then when we get more experience, we'll be able to swap around and do whatever we want. We both, both still do the same things today. And we're both <laughs> specialists in our areas within the business. And, and it's um it's important that you stay in your lane and you respect each other's part and and I and I forward that to Ben and he affords that to me and I think that's what's really um, developed us and look he he offers me advice in areas that we could do better in my my side of the business and 
and vice versa. And, and he, he coaches my guys that report to me and I do the same to his and it's just kind of the way it works, but we're united and we bring different things to the party. And I think for a lot of people having a partner, whilst it might hamstring you occasionally on some of your ideas, like there's things that I might want to do that Ben doesn't want to do. And the mm. respect needs to be that we either both do it or we don't do it. Yeah. Um, but it, but it allows you to have sort of the kahunas to probably make the riskier decisions <laughs> and, and back yourselves because you've got someone else there and it's not, it's not a hundred percent your decision and you've got someone to bounce it off. I think my wife or um, my partner would be hating me if, um, if I didn't have Ben to talk about business with, cause she'd just be getting. Hey, Rich, I, I think you forgot the fact that we, we didn't have any money back then. So <laughs> oh, yeah, we needed point. both of us to, to, to do it. We, we really did just scrape our nickels together and, and uh, come up with a few, a few Bob to do it. And, build a lot of Bondi hardware ourselves. We, we, you know, we're, we're on the jackhammer and, and all that sort of stuff. And, but uh, I just want to second what Hamish was saying. If, mm. if you're going to do any business, if you find the right business partner by far, it's a much better uh, position to be in. And you can bounce ideas off each other and challenge each other because, you know, you, you don't always want to have one perspective and one way of looking at things. So you, you do want a business partner who, is as passionate as you and as vocal as you are and will challenge you as well. So mm. that has definitely led to Applejack's hospitality. And don't get me wrong, we've definitely had a few Barneys along the way, but I, I think that's that that's only that's good. Yeah. 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 So how do, uh, the way you guys communicate like back then 10 years ago, is it uh, what differences are you finding that you're communicating now? Do you have much more structure in the way – you have meetings together on your different different parts of the industry. Ben, you're laughing about it, so maybe I'll go to you guys. <laughs> but like, is is it like you guys in constant dialogue every day? Like, how does it how does it sort of work that you sort of have this professional relationship, but still still be mates at the end of the day? Which I'm sure yeah. is one of the reasons why you started. You know, <clears throat> mates. Um. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I started laughing because I, I remember That's when we first I remember when we first started Bondi Hardware, and then the, the year after that, we, I think every year we we got a new venue, so Botanist and SoCal. But as we we grew as a, a team, Hamish and I sort of were a little bit slower than the I guess the progression of the company in terms of our business relationships. So to start off it was probably a lot more emotional than what it is now. You know, there was a, a lot more yelling and hanging up on phones back then. Uh, but now uh, it's exactly what you said. Now we, we try to structure in meetings and occasionally we go through, it's like, it is like a marriage and occasionally you do go through a bad patch and mm. one of you needs to identify that and say, Hey, look, let's, let's lock in these weekly meetings. Now let's make sure we're going and grabbing sushi every Monday lunch or whatever it may be. And, and occasionally it's go out and let's, you know, let's have a, have a few beers together and, you know, reconnect with each other. So there's a lot of different uh, ideas, I guess, now and a lot of different tricks we have when we're going through a rough patch on how to fix that. But the most important thing is stay in your lane, as Hamish was talking about. But having that open dialogue, even through lockdown now, and the company is in full hibernation through this um, latest outbreak, Hamish and I are on mess team teams messenger several times a day. We probably zoom every second day, just the two of us and, and stay connected. And I think communication is key to any great partnership. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's, you just touched on it there and being in full hibernation, Ben, maybe Hamish, if you could talk to this, like what other than the, than the obvious that you have, you know, eight venues, which are currently not trading, like what are the main yeah. challenges in, 
in the industry right now for you guys having these venues? Uh, the, the number one challenge, and I think everyone would say the same thing, is remaining connected with your team. Um, for us, the critical part of our success on the bounce after the last lock um, was that we kept really good culture throughout the shutdown. And mm-hmm. that was just done by, and a lot of people say the same thing, but that was just done by a high level of communication with, with our team. So for us, we're all about transparency. We've got a fairly flat hierarchy within the group. We like to think that everybody's got a voice. And um, on that on that basis, we make sure that we're keeping kids connected as we can with the guys. And we, we let them know what sort of position we're in. So we're very transparent in relation to how things are tracking. For example, last lockdown um, financially was, uh, was uh, no one was, no one was at all prepared for it. You know, obviously no one saw it coming. And then, so it was a very tenuous position that we were in at the time. Um, and we were fully upfront with the team about that. And we just explained to them, look, this is where we're at. The only way we're going to survive this is if we do X, Y, and Z. <clears throat> um, and then on top of that, because we weren't in a financial capacity to keep paying everyone while we weren't trading like everybody, um, we had to find ways to support the crew throughout it. And what we did uh, was to put together as much information as we could to assist them. So how they could get any government support that was available to them. We provided them with um, any um, legal stuff that would help them in negotiations with their landlords. We did all the typical stuff that hospitality and all workforces are doing in relation to keeping them connected through things like trivia and, and make sure we're um, honoring birthdays and what have you. But mm. the main thing I think for us was just in, in, in ensuring that everyone felt like we were being upfront and honest. And that was, and, and, and the way to do that is by being upfront and honest. And, um, and that's what we did. Um, and obviously there's a lot of other things in relation to making sure that you're um, staying strong through a lockdown. I'll let Ben answer them. It's a, a lot of it's financial and relationships with your landlords are obviously critical. Yeah. Um, Benny, do you want to elaborate more on that? Yeah. Look, just on, you're talking about people piece and a lot of companies come out there and have social clubs and they try to, you know, it's all about culture and they got to put someone in charge of this particular yeah. department in their business. That doesn't get you through a lockdown. That doesn't get you through your business because being shut. That doesn't keep your people connected. So I think hospitality, although whilst we're shut down, we've copped it really hard. We actually are natural. It's a natural reflex reflex of ours to stay connected to people and to, to have that culture. And, and fortunately for hospitality, that's what's got us through this is because it's come naturally to us to to really care about other people. And if you can't force that sort of stuff. Uh, so Hamish was talking a little bit about the financial side of things. And it, the other massive challenge through this lockdown is how the hell as a business are we going to make it through to the other side? So we um, have some brilliant people in our company that will automatically, as a reflex, take control of particular areas through this, whether it's more the operational, how to close a business down, we're getting pretty good at that now, whether it's about how to engage with our staff through different activities on Zoom and through Facebook. One massive thing, obviously, is financially, and what we had to do is just freeze everything. You know, we had to had to freeze our bank accounts. We had to stop paying everybody. We paid all of our staff as, as, for as long as we could. Annual, mm. annual leave was available for the first few weeks. But right now we've, we've frozen it all down to get a snapshot of where we're sitting. We're trying to understand how eligible we are for all the government support. And then Hamish and I'll put a cash flow together on what will get us through to the other side, what sort of support we need from suppliers, when we can pay suppliers, 
make sure we're informing them. And the huge piece of the puzzle is our landlords. We've been in a lot of our premises for sort of 10 years or towards that sort of area. So we've got some great relationships and it's now where you have to use those credits that you've got over the last few years. And fortunately we do have brilliant relationships with all of our landlords that we over the years just would check in on them, have a chat to them. And they were part of our success. They wanted to be involved in Applejack along the way. So mm. they were quite proud to have us as tenants. And right now they're proud to stand by us and they've done in, They've been incredible so far, even last year. And I had to turn around to them again this year and say, hey, look, you were fantastic last year, but we need a bit more help again. Some of it's fantastic again. (laughs) (laughs) And and you know what? They they could be sour about it all. Yeah, look, this really sucks for everybody. We're we're happy to share some of your pain with you. We want you there on the other side and you've you've still got long terms left in your leases and we want to see that out. So we've been in a very fortunate position in all aspects of Applejack uh, and it, it just shows that it needs to come naturally and it needs to be natural reflexes to get you through these hard times and fortunately for us and I think a lot of hospitality businesses they're used to being nimble as a company they're used to being flexible they're used to being agile and you know thinking on your feet and being caring about people and everything generations of where this industry is going to come out of this and it is mm. it's going to burn yeah do you guys do you guys think obviously you know saying you've gone into full hibernation like and you and you don't have small venues here like we're not we're not talking about a 20 seat cafe in the cbd which is granted still very expensive to run but is a lot is a lot um easier to put into hibernation than a full service pub um uh, once we get out of this lockdown in Sydney with you guys, are you are you now starting to factor in in your sort of forecasting over a year that there might be further lockdowns and you need to think about how the business can go into hibernation again and what's that going to cost you, or are you posi- are you sort of hopeful that the lockdowns that are happening right now in Sydney you won't see to an extreme in sort of twenty twenty two twenty three. Well, I guess the hard thing is to budget for lockdowns, isn't it? Because <clears throat> you can't you can't predict them when they're going to hit. You yes. know, so yeah. we 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 did our we did our forecasting for the the new year, and a lot of that was based on 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 regular trade. And I think you've got to you've got to predict that things are going to be trickier, and there's going to be some statics, there's going to be some um, speed bumps in the road. But um, I think it's impossible to forecast for a lockdown. The only thing you can really do is to make sure that you've got enough cash in the kitty, and you're you're, you're remaining, you know. Um, a viable business and you can trade through and make sure you can make, make it through the next one. And that's certainly what we learned from the first time around. Um, they can, they can hit you at any time. And I'm hopeful that on the other side of this one, we're going to, you know, as vaccination rates go up and, and things improve in that area, that lockdowns won't be as long and severe. Um, yep. They might be more snappy, a little bit like we're seeing at the moment or, but what we are certainly <clears throat> um, conscious of is the fact on the other side, we're going to see long restrictions until things get back to normal. So we haven't, we haven't adjusted our budgets yet for that. Um, but Ben and I have been talking about that. And before we trade out of this, we're certainly going to review those for sure. Has it, has it been a challenge as well with obviously government support coming in at different levels and different, you know, the federal government's doing this and then the state government's doing, you know, doing why and that sort of changing all the time. Like, has it been a challenge with you guys to navigate what kind of grants you're available for and, and all that kind of stuff, Ben? It's a full-time job trying to understand that. It, it is, yeah. uh, it's just so complicated. 
And again, lucky that we've got two business partners in this because, yeah. and it's it's an area that I've been looking after. I've sort of just put up my hand and, and got uh, deep involved in, in trying to understand the legislation and listen to every update and try to read between the lines because a lot of it is reading between the lines. That You never know if you're actually eligible for a lot of this funding until you put in your application and it gets yeah. approved. It's not, it's not clear. So we're hopeful... Uh, so let's go back to the New South Wales state government. Uh, it was a $15,000 grant. Mm. We thought we were eligible. We hoped we were eligible. You, you never know if they're just going to, at the 11th hour, which they have been doing, they just change it. They change it ever so slightly. And what they did on the state government grant is they ended up doing it, changing the weeks that you had to be eligible for. And fortunately <laughs> for us, our turnover drop was 100% because we were closed. But I have friends that uh, are not in, in the industry and their invoices fell in that wrong week. So they thought they were eligible. There's 11th hour change and they became uneligible un, yep. for it. So uh, same with the federal government grant right now, there's up to between 1500 and a hundred, just changed yesterday, uh, $1,500 and $100,000 a week, which is 40% of your payroll complicated as all like who knows what's going on but we think we're eligible we hope we're eligible mm. uh the full criteria has just landed but we still got to do some calculations and, and calculations that i can't do i'm not a tax accountant so it, ha it has to go from our bookkeeper to a mm. tax account you've got to get the specific letters then it comes back to me and i'll have to lodge it through the new south wales services website so it's quite confusing and it's uh, it's really hard to understand until that money actually hits your account whether you're going to get it or not. So we try not to budget on it. So so confusing, in, uh, in fact, that our bookkeeper and our accountants both had completely different um, differing advice on whether or not we were going to get it or not. So Ben and I were there just going, is the accountant right? Because that, that, that would be in doom and disaster. Or is our bookkeeper right? Because that might mean that we'll be okay for a little bit longer. And so there's all these sleepless nights, and as Ben says, it just until the money actually hits your account, it's it's um there's nothing clear because the wording just just changes, it just changes and changes. Yeah. Well, um, like, tricky. on this um last uh, job saver, they're calling this one. Yep. They they didn't make it clear whether it was on your forty percent. You got paid up to it was originally up to ten thousand dollars, up to forty percent of your payroll. Right. It didn't say whether it was your payroll moving forward, so you had to still be paying people, or whether it was your payroll from the last quarter or whatever it was. And it was only announced a few days ago now where it's, they said, okay, I think this lockdown's that hard. And I, I think they intentionally sort of left it quite open so they could wait and see where this lockdown was going. Now the lockdown's quite tough. They've said, okay, it's your payroll for the last quarter. We'll take an average of that. Your most recent BAS and we'll pay you 40% back. Mm. where we were, our, our accountant was saying that, oh, you know, it's actually your payroll moving forward. So you've got to keep on paying people. So that's where <laughs> there was a lot of confusion around this legislation. Yeah, right. Um, how are you guys keeping your staff engaged right now? Because obviously, you know, you're talking at full tilt. You've got, you know, over 200 staff, right? Like yeah. um, in full hibernation, I imagine that you don't, don't, have, that, uh, don't have that many at the moment. Um, how are you keeping them engaged during, you know, a, a lockdown, which is now sort of at the halfway point? Um, so on your point about not having that many now, we still do have 200 actively engaged employees. Oh, wow. So okay. um, yeah, we, we, we consider our casuals as an important part of the, um, the pieces, our, our salary staff. So mm -hmm. 
um, whilst we um, we we we've we've provided them with links to other areas they can work in. Some of them are going and stacking boxes for Harris Farm, and others are going and doing um, central delivery driving and things like that. So there's mm-hmm. they're out there doing other things. Some of them, um, the vast majority of them are happy to take the pandemic payment or the um, job saver payment, <clears throat> as they've rebranded it, and um, are remaining engaged in the business and just sitting it out. So look, we've got a couple of different ways. The 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 um, one of the key ways is direct communication. Um, so we've got a uh, an Excel spreadsheet which has all of the staff listed, and it's somebody's responsibility to talk to somebody. So everybody needs to make sure that they're communicating with um, somebody nice. down the line. And so we, we're using that, and that's been a really successful tool. I think direct communication with your crew is is probably the number one number one thing. But then <clears throat> there's obviously the fun element and the communication piece as well. So. We've got a um, group-wide Facebook page called Applejack United, um, and we're going to be a football team after the um, pandemic's over because we've got nothing <laughs> else to do with the brand. So, um, play down at Queens Park or something. Um, so we're going to. Um, we basically Ben and I have a weekly update through that where we um, we bore them to death for five to ten minutes about what's going on with Applejack from a compliance perspective, but also things that relate to them. Uh, we do. Uh, we've got a um, trivia. Uh, on Friday nights, which is arranged by one of the staff, but the prizes are obviously through us. We do a, um, we've got a Wednesday workout session. We've got um, cocktail masterclasses, which we land on our friends from Perno Ricard who uh, provide the booze for those. Our group bars manager, Lockie, drove around for um, two and a half days, dropping off satchels of mezcal for the tasting. Um, And we've, uh, so thanks for that, Lockie. Appreciate that, mate. Um, And then we've also got like food, uh, food tastings and, and, and masterclasses. So our executive chef, our group um, head chef is going and um, speaking to providers and doing all that sort of stuff. So there's all of those elements that come on. We have, we have like smaller what about things. Your hot, dog, running. your hot dog eating competition that you I organized the hot dog eating competition. Um, I ran it by one person and she said it was a good idea. I think she didn't want to say no. Um, I, had, uh, I, had two, I had two entrants. Two. Wow. That's better than and they one. Had to be, like, they had to be strong-armed into it as well. Let me just say that. They were strong-armed into joining. Um, and I dropped off – well, I sent them over via Woolies um, delivery because – and, and it's a $50 minimum, so they got a shitload of um, – excuse the French. <laughs> hot Frankfurt's rocking up on their doorstep, and they were given a minute to eat the most. I think they ate like four. <laughs> Um, so wow. was Keith, Big Keith, who's a junior sous chef at the Butler. Um, so congratulations again, Keith. You did us proud, mate. That was a, that was an outstanding. Effort. I think for the three people that watched it, it was um, it was impressive, mate. <laughs> the three people that watched like, it. That's 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 the kind of what we're. That's that's the kind of element. I guess the two parts of the you know the the direct communication is the key, and then and then we keep it fun and we keep it light and we keep them we keep them informed through the other mm. part. And what we're working on now, and I, I, I'm hesitant to use the term, is is how we're, how we're going to trade out of it. And we like to let them know that how that's going to look and you try to use a roadmap scenario to give them sort of how it's going to work on the way out. And I think by providing them with all that information, it just gives them some comfort that there is a job for them there. And we want them to know that where they're still part of the crew, regardless of whether they're working, whether they're not, it's still part of the same team. It's still part of the same family. Mm-hmm. And, and we work on that as our, our premise. And I, and it's, it's been a very successful um, formula for us thus far. And it's something that I think, Ben and I have both said in the past it's something that will continue down the track and our culture has never been better as a, as a result. There's there's false culture and then there's real culture and I think for us it's pushed to the forefront that our culture is all about our team and um, and that's really driven that for us. So it's been it's been a really good positive learning experience for us in that regard. 
Yeah. I think I think it's been the constant thing which has come through on the podcast the last 12 months when I've talked to people from the industry at the top of their game that if they really look after and engage with their people, they haven't lost, you know, a lot of talent during this time. Yeah. As hard as it is, um, as confusing as the government support is and, and how much brands can actually afford to pay on top of that to keep people, like the constant thread is that if they talk to their team and they communicate with them and they make sure they listen and do simple things yeah. like the Excel spreadsheet and talking up and down the line, like then they usually keep their team, um, which is really good and to hear. Start, you know? Well, and the, start, the staff shortages are real. And look, yeah. we've got, we've got um, I'm, I'm sure there's a, a bunch of chefs eyeballing Melbourne now, or uh, <laughs> we've got a mate who runs mm. restaurants over in Perth and he said, he just sees endless amounts of CVs coming from the East. You know, everyone's seeing yeah, Perth, right. um, Hermit Nation. Yep. Um, and it's a safe place for them to go and avoid a lockdown or alternatively they're jumping into other industries. If they're not finding that hospitality is the one for them, they're telemarketing or they're doing sales or something that's a secure job or Harris Farm, for example, there's things out there that can provide them with a, um, a secure job. But mm. we, want, we want them to know that, that Applejack is, is, a, is a secure job for them for the long term and this is a temporary moment in time and there are career opportunities aplenty for those that stick around. You know. So what? Uh, it sort of leads into my next question. Like, what do you guys think, obviously moving forward with hospitality careers, like what do you think it's going to do to hospitality careers? Because we are we are dealing in a time which is up and down, as you said, and, and you know, uh, not a security of um, of getting paid the same amount in salary and all that kind of stuff and, and having to sit at home and, and not, you know, not being a venue is really troubling for a lot of people who work in the industry. Like they, they're engaged with, like they love being engaged with people, right? That's why they, part of the reason why they join the industry. Like what, what do you think this is going to do for hospitality careers? How do you think we can keep attracting really good talent? I think hospitality is challenged with people seeing it as it's a successful career for a lot of people. And it's only until recent times where people have really understood that you can make a, a real career out of this. And parents like my mine were, were pushing me into that. We're, you know, we're still challenging to beat that. Uh, I guess get over that sort of stigma of hospitality is just a side gig to something else. Mm. So we, we're definitely going to take a few steps back in relation to it. Uh, but I, I guess the other thing it's going to do, we're going to, I guess. Um, we're going to work out who really wants to be in this uh, industry and who really wants to make a career of it. And it gives us the ability to focus on those people and those people that are staying around. And there is a lot of them. There's a lot of people who really want to be a part of it. I do think with the borders being closed uh, and the lack of staff, the the average uh, income for hospitality workers is going to go up. I really hope we're also going to get a lot more gratitude from customers that come mm-hmm. to us. They can see that how important hospitality is to a backbone of any community. It's just vital. So when they come back in, hopefully they're going to show their gratitude in, in tipping the staff because that goes directly to the pockets of the staff. It doesn't go to the company. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm super excited about where we're going to go from here. And I think uh, as people, as a, as Australians and um from Sydney siders, I think we're going to be better off. And as a company, I know how, how much better we're going to get. And the passion in our staff at the moment is probably the highest I've seen. And as Hamish was talking about culture, a lot of the culture within our teams is just incredible at the moment. And you really have that same goal of getting through this and rallying together and coming out the other side. And I don't think we're going to lose too many people from it. And I think the resilience of the industry is going to be recognized from a lot of other industries. And 
I don't want to throw stones at other industries, but they have more recently been forced into lockdown themselves Mm -hmm. and have protested around it. Hospitality hasn't. And (laughs) that resilience is... Yeah. Yeah. But hospitality has has come together. We've gone, no, we're going to do this because we care about health and safety. Mm. And when we have the ability to come out of this, I think we're really going to stand up as an industry and people are going to look at us. And and tourism's there and, and... the airline industry. So I don't want to, they've been incredible as well. But mm. when we come through this, I think we're going to have a lot of other com- um, uh, industries and people looking at us going, well, good on you guys. You've absolutely just smashed this and you've shown everybody how you get through a pandemic. Mm. And you, well, you haven't complained and you put one foot in front of the other foot, even in the darkest hours. Yeah. So I want to, I do want to thank the industry for that. I think it's, I'm incredibly proud to be a part of it. Mm. Yeah, look, something I want to add to that as well is I think um, from an industry perspective, it's going to be a real shake of the tree as well. Like I think everyone's now thinking about ways in which we can better engage people to try to encourage them to come into the industry. Agree. Just yesterday I was having a, a really interesting chat with um, someone from TAFE New South Wales about um, tertiary training for, um, for uh, uh, high school students wanting to leave um, and look at hospitality as a career option. and. Nice. They're very, they're very open about what people perceive them to be. Like they, you know, I think TAFE has been traditionally quite, you know, traditional. People see TAFE as a way if you want to get into the hotel sector and mm-hmm. you know, if you want to work in fine dining and it's a waistcoat and bow tie and it's um, yeah. big shifts hat. And, um, and they're trying to really identify to try to connect with people to show young people what the hospitality industry can be. It's like it's a dynamic, it's a, a, a extremely creative space to work within there's um there's restaurants there's bars there's pubs there's nightclubs there's all these different elements and i and people aren't seeing it as that and another key part which ben raised as well was connecting with the parents so parents of students could see this is a viable place for them to to move into so i think the pandemic has made and then obviously the skill shortage and the closure of the borders as a result of all of this yeah. um has made people have to realize we can't be lazy we can't just always rely on overseas yeah. a lot of, a lot of our guys and we've got we've got you know, like hundreds of people working for us that are from overseas and we respect and love having them as part of the team. But at the end of the day, we're all going to have to get smarter and really try to drive this as a, as a, as a, as the, and, and, and advertise it as the amazing space it is. Cause I think, I think if um, high school students saw hospitality, what it is, the cool people that work within the space, the areas that, you know, the different options there are chefs don't have to be these sort of like, you know, daggy people with white vests. Like there's, there's all this sort of stuff that needs to be done from a, a an industry perspective. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're certainly internally having our chats about how we can do that as well and attract people. So I think the industry will change and we'll get better for it. It's going to hurt for a while because there's not going to be enough people around. And I think operators that aren't doing the right thing and those that are underpaying and those that treat their staff like shit or that chef who's who thinks that it's appropriate to, you know, belittle people at the past, yep. that, that sort of stuff's just not going to fly anymore. And for that reason, in, the industry as a whole is going to get better because mm. people are being treated with more respect because we haven't hold on to them, you know? Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I'm, I'm really excited about the future of it, but I think it's really important from an industry perspective. Everyone does their little bit of the heavy lifting and yep. everyone really tries to promote hospitality for what it truly is, which is a creative, amazing industry yep. that I'm very proud. Like Ben, I'm also very proud to be a part of. And I just think we need to try to encourage young people to get involved and really fundamentally change the, the structure and the feeding lines from people leaving school, whether that be in year 10 or year 12, to, to when they enter the workforce. And so I'm, I'm really excited about it. And I think um, I just encourage any operator out there to try to do their bit to, to promote it 
yeah. as a viable place for people to move into. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Uh, well said. Very well said. Um, I've got a couple of questions for you both before I, uh, before we wrap up today. One of them is um, maybe if I start with you, Ben. Like you guys are super positive, and you're and you're in the middle of a really freaking hard lockdown right now. Like, who are you guys relying on or leaning on at the moment, other than each other, in order to keep that positive mindset and make sure that you're showing up every day for your team? Because that's a really challenging thing to do when you've got eight venues which are currently in hibernation. Yeah, don't don't get me wrong. We definitely we we feel the pain, yeah. and there's there's dark times through this. But we've got incredible partners and families that that are there. Mm-hmm. But I think more appropriately is the family of Applejack, and we do call it a family. And the team we 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 catch up every Monday morning for a huddle at the moment, and everyone's just so positive on there. Like we there's always a dad joke shared at the end, and we talk about what we've done on the weekend or or what Netflix series we're binging on at the moment. We're laughing amongst each other. I guess we've been, we went through this last year and last year we didn't have any certainty that Applejack was going to come out of this and what the world was going to look like on the other side. We now know that yes, this is a harder lockdown than last year. It's going to be a longer lockdown than last year. It's tougher restrictions than last year, but we also now know what the other side looks like when we've given the opportunity to trade again. We know that we can come out of this. We've also got the vaccine and uh, we, we know that's going to be a ticket out of this and we want to encourage everybody. If uh, you know, A lot of people have a stigma around the vaccine, but it's going to get us out of this lockdown and it's going to get hospitality back. So I'm very much supporting it. Yeah. What about yourself, Hamish? Uh, whiskey and apple juice for breakfast. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a superfood in Sydney. I don't know if you've got a thing, Robin, yet. Um, Not uh, quite. <laughs> I look. Yeah, I, I I have lots of wobbles. Like I have um, yesterday in particular. Just you know, in the morning I was just I was just I was just beating myself up about it. But I um you know I get out in the sun and I take I take my daughter for a walk and kiss the dog and you know and then just try to you know just know that we're going to get through it. And and by and large, you've just got to you've got to take these moments and 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 enjoy them for what they are. Like last lockdown, I was homeschooling a kindergarten child and this, this, this lockdown I'm homeschooling a year one student. And like last year I hated it. And this year I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite enjoying it. And I'm, mm. I'm taking, I'm realizing I've got three or four hours a day to spend with my daughter to, to, to teach her and educate her. And she gets to spend time with me and I bore her to death with my dad jokes. And, <laughs> and we, um, and, and no, it's, it's, a, it's a special time. So it's like, it's, it's, it's looking for the silver linings, but I guess as Ben was saying, the most important thing is knowing that we're, we're, we're going to, we're going to trade out of it. We've got the support and whilst the um, the backing from the government can be, you know, challenging at times, we're fortunate to be in a, in a country where we do have financial support like that. So at the end of the yeah. day, we're very lucky. We know that the staff are getting paid and whilst this round of the pandemic payment might not be as good for job JobKeeper for many, many reasons, um, at least our temporary visa holders and our student visa holders are getting some cash this time. Our yeah, casual workers are getting some cash this time. So mm. there's, 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 um, there's upsides, but I think from that perspective, from an employee perspective, that's um, that's a much better position for all of our staff this mm-hmm. time around. Um, and knowing that they're getting some cash and everyone's just kind of just hanging it out, we'll let's just try to enjoy it and, and and then come out swinging on the other side. You know, that's the way it's got to work. Yeah, it's the only way it can work. Yeah, and mulling on it and 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 beating yourself up about it's not going to change anything, is it? No, no, I totally agree. Um, last question for you both. Um, you know, coming out of this lockdown and and having these venues um, trading again, like what are you what are you excited about for the future of hospitality? Or are you 
are you thinking that you guys might do more venues in the future? Obviously, you've had really great growth over the last 10 years. Like, what are you excited about? Maybe Ben? Yeah, we have a pretty ambitious growth strategy. Obviously, that's uh, hit a few speed bumps over the last 12 months. It's it's definitely still something that we're, we're focused on. But I think what is super exciting about hospitality is we've got a huge workforce within the industry right now that's sitting at home fantasizing about getting back to doing what they love. Mm. So when they get out there, when they get in front of the customers, those customers are going to be so lucky because they're going to have the most engaged, passionate people in the world serving on them. And and who does not want to go to a restaurant and experience something like that or go to the local pub or wherever it is. So, mm. and our customers, they're going to be the best customers going around. They're going to be, they're going to not getting on, uh, the review sites and, you know, just roasting you for every little thing. Now they're going to understand how important this is to hospitality is to a culture. So we're going to have customers that are showing gratitude. We're going to have super positive and fun, passionate staff. And fortunately the death toll in Australia, whilst we're going through a lockdown, it's really low compared to other countries mm. and our economy is going to bounce back really quickly. We already know that. So the other side of this, which isn't that far away, is is looking so bright for the industry. And yet, we've got some dark days ahead. But I'm I'm just so pumped to to get back out there. It'd be yeah. awesome. Cool, Amish. Oh, I think that was pretty well said from Ben. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I have nothing further to add. <laughs> I'm also I'm also excited. Oh, okay, I'm glad. Well, I'm glad you're both excited. It's definitely come through on on today's podcast. And I mean, um, to sit down. Um, albeit virtually with two founders who are doing, you know, freaking amazing things for the industry and, and keeping a really positive mindset in a really challenging time. Um, like hats off to you both, like you're doing an amazing job. Um, and Thanks, I think, mate. I think coming out of this, like the people listening to this, especially those that live in Sydney, um, are really going to come and want to work for one of your venues. So, um, what's the best way that people can, you know, uh, connect with Applejack and then, and then, you know, come and work for you guys because I think that'll be the next point of call. Just just slide into Hamish's DMs. au. You'll find all our wonderful venues on there. You'll also find a, a direct link to um, get in touch with us and we'll uh, we'll certainly show you the uh, the red carpet if you want to come and have a, have a, have a sniff at Applejack. Happy days. Yeah. All right, Ben, Hamish, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Thanks, thank Sean. you for the kind words and listening to us. No problem. Cheers. Bye. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Principle of Hospitality. I hope you really enjoyed it. Please comment, like, and share this podcast with your friends in the industry. You know we're making it with you in mind, so we'd really love you sharing it along. As always, thanks to our supporter, the largest family-owned and operated hospitality supplier in Australia, Chef's Hat, where the industry shops. And if you don't know us at Pose, Sash, my co-founder from Principal Design, has one of the best design agencies in Australia. So if you're looking for anything around strategy, branding, digital design, wayfinding, and graphic design, then find them at principaldesign.com.au. And myself at Open Pantry Consulting for anything to do with systems and processes to make your business run more smoothly. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks to Chef's Hat for supporting us. And until next time, stay safe.